because Ram, Sita, Krishna, Radha, all these beings, because they are rooted in a deeper consciousness or a higher consciousness than we have, by rep repeating their names, we invoke that presence, we invoke that place within us that is deeper than our thoughts, deeper than our emotions, deeper than our physicality. And it moves us more deeply into ourself, into our true self. So that's, for me, that's the real meaning of these names, is that they are real love. And the same love that lives within us Welcome to the Krishna Das Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishna Das shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishna Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. One time in, uh, I think it was 1970. One, or maybe, yeah, probably, not sure. We're in the temple with Maharaji in Brindavan. <coughs> and uh, one, of the, one of the devotees hanging out with us had a friend who was uh, one of the gurus in uh, ISKCON, Hare Krishna movement. And they had just come to Brindavan for the first time and and they were being uh, introduced to Vrindavan and Krishna's birthplace, Krishna's place, not birthplace. And um, so this guy invited them to come sing in Maharaja's temple to come to Kirtan. So, you know, we used to, we used to sing to Maharaji, but we would just stand there and go, Shri Ram Jai Ram Jai Jai, you know, very simple, very boring, but very simple, very loving, but you know. So here comes these guys. They all come like twenty of them, and they got drums and clangers and bangers and cymbals and everything, and they're singing and dancing, and it was Maharaji loved it. It was so great. I was standing right next to him. At one point, he looked over me and said, like, like he was telling me a big secret. He said, Hare Krishna, Maha Mantra. And uh, it was just fantastic. So then finally they left. And uh, <laughs> he reached into his dhoti, his, his, the cloth that he, that he wore around his waist, and he pulled out a 50 rupee note. And he gave it to me and he said, here, go buy a drum. And that moment is why we're here now. Why I'm doing this now with you today. 50 years later or whatever. That's the moment that solidified me as somebody who does chanting, you know, who chants. And I went and bought the drum and I wouldn't play it. And I brought it back to Maharaji, 
And uh, he was the first one to play the drum. He went, and then he gave it back to me, you know. So I never really learned to play very well, but I could keep a beat. And we used to sing, and that was it, you know. And then little by little, the kirtan got juicier and juicier. And uh, yeah, I just kept singing. And that was how it all started. At least that's the way it looks. Okay, let's take some questions. I got to see if I have the list here. I do. Oh, Jesus, there's so many. <clears throat> Somebody asked, why are Hindu gods gods, but not just humans? They look alike humans. Well, first of all, who drew the pictures of them? Humans. What can humans draw? Humans. <laughs> humans can only draw what they've seen. Other humans, animals, bugs, insects, sky, the stars. They can't draw what they can't see and haven't seen. And so the pictures we see of the so-called gods are just the projection of human minds. That's not what they look like. How could it be what they look like? They might have some, because they've been described, I guess, in some of the scriptures, they may be sharing some qualities of that drawing, but believe me, if they're not physical beings, so it's a whole other ballgame. So, and, uh, yeah, so there you go. That's my ideas about that. <clears throat> Did I ever make an album called Silence? There's an album by that title on the streaming platforms that this person really enjoys, but I can't tell if it's your album or someone else using the name Krishna Das. Well, it isn't mine, so it's someone else. And he may also be a Krishna Das by some, someone must have given him that name. Uh, it's the Italian Krishna Das. There's actually a Krishna Das in Italy who is a more of a uh, classical Indian musician. He plays, I think he plays sitar. And apparently he's very good, but he's not me. So that's much I can tell you. What does sitaram mean in English? Well, as you know, I'm not a big one for trying to define these names. For instance, your name is Tatiana. What does that mean? It means you. All those things about you. You, your sense of yourself. That's you, Tatiana. Sita is Sita. Ram is Ram. That's who they are. That's the names of who they are. If we want to start talking about who are these great beings and what are their qualities, well, that's a, a rather big discussion. But suffice it to say that Sita Ram and Ram, Sita and Sita Ram together are names of the real names of love, the names of the real love that lives within us as our own true nature. We are not on that level and we're not aware of that level. That was... And when we hear those names, very much in the way we see pictures, 
drawings of the so-called gods. I say so-called because we don't even know what that means when we say a god. I think of them as older beings, greater beings, beings who have real, true realization, who have been around much longer and have achieved these very high states. Some of them are avatars and my incarnations of the very great beings that support, create, and preserve this universe. Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, the incarnations of Vishnu that who preserves the universe through love. Krishna, Rama, and the all the ten avatars. So uh, <clears throat> because Ram, Sita, Krishna, Radha, all these beings, because they are rooted in a deeper consciousness or a higher consciousness than we have, by rep repeating their names, we invoke that presence, we invoke that place within us that is deeper than our thoughts, deeper than our emotions, deeper than our physicality. And it moves us more deeply into ourself, into our true self. So that's, for me, that's the real meaning of these names, is that they are real love. And the same love that lives within us. So by invoking that presence, it helps us pull us out of our thoughts and uncover what's really within us. But if you want to see more about that, you can Google it, read, read the different, uh, read the Mahabharata, read the Ramayana, read Srimad Bhagavatam, read the Puranas, all these Indian uh, scriptures that describe and tell about all the deities, all the gods. Maharaji said, according to this person, which is a quote, I guess, attachment is the strongest block to realization. What does that mean? What kind of attachments is he talking about? And then she asked, do I have any attachments? <laughs> How could you ask that question? Hey, I'm nothing but attachments. So anyway, uh, What did Maharaji mean by attachments? Well, <clears throat> it's a good question. Let's just say you're in a relationship to somebody, with somebody. And if you are very attached to that person, it means that you feel you can't live without that person. You feel that you need that person in order to be happy. The same way you might, somebody might feel they need a lot of money to be happy. Or somebody might feel they need to uh, be stronger and more virile. Or somebody might want more hair or less hair or bigger muscles in order to be happy and attract love to them. This is all attachment because it's 
outside you. In reality, those things are not going to make you happy. They're going to give you some pleasure, for sure. And you could say they're going to give you a little happiness. But you know, it's not pure, unalloyed happiness. It's mixed with a lot of stuff. So the neediness, the dependent on other things outside of us, that is called attachment. And most people are completely immersed in this world, which is called the flow of attachment. Samsara is the word they use, the cycle of attachment. One attachment replacing the next, one after the other, one after the other. And we're also very attached to our ideas about who we are. <clears throat> and the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, we're identified with them, we're attached to those things. I remember once in India, uh, this couple was fighting, having problems, and <clears throat> one of the one of the couple came to Dada Mukherjee, one of Maharaji's great devotees, and they were telling him all her, their woes. And he he said to me later, he said, and he said to me that he said to me, Dada, I can't live without her. And Dada looked at me and he said, can you imagine that? In his world, it was only Maharaji. He was married, his family was there, but he was only dependent on Maharaji in a way. When I said, Maharaji, I want to marry you, <laughs> he said, okay, but all you'll get is love. You won't get what you really want, which is at that time was to get laid. He said, oh, you get love if you married me. And he laughed. Ah. And then I said to him, how can I stop this? I, you know, I feel so bad. I, mean, I have so much, you know, I'm never going to get through this. He said, attachment, this is all attachment. All those kind of thoughts about yourself all day long. We think about ourselves all day long. All day long we're thinking about ourselves. We're immersed in locating ourselves in space and bouncing off of the people around us and thinking about the future and running away from the past or bouncing off the past. This is all attachment. No attachment, Maharaji said, no samsara, no world. No outside world, no external world. No separate world, more meaning set world where I'm me and you are you, and those are two different universes. The external world disappears and the whole universe opens up. So anything that keeps us from that real love, from that wide-heartedness that ultimately includes all beings, anything that keeps us spinning in pain, spinning in suffering, needy, hungry, is attachment. Anything we think we, can, we need that we can't live without is attachment. <coughs> it's a big subject. It's a very... Because you can't just say, I'm not going to be attached. 
That don't work. Because you, you're still attached to you, who you think you are, and from that, all the other attachments come. They didn't go anywhere. You just are posing in another position. So getting free of attachment and finding your true nature is a very big job, very big thing. But you can't just push things away. That's There's another word for attachment or detachment. There's another word for detachment in Hindi, in Sanskrit, and the word is vairagya. And this word has much more of a sense of the natural falling away of fascination with stuff. And it falls away as we become more deeply embedded in our own hearts. The more deeply we sit in our true nature, our fascination with the outside world and our dependent on it and our fantasies about it, they, 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 they get less and less. And through the repetition of the name, like Maharaji said, everything is accomplished. So you don't need to tack those things directly. You don't have to think about all the things you're attached to. You just do your practice. And little by little, the attachment to those things falls away. You don't even notice it, really. You only notice that you're, you're more at ease. Because it's the evaluator, the judger in us, that part of us that's going, yeah, 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 what's going on now? How am I now? How am I now? I'm not happy. I'm not happy. Okay, now I'm a little happy. Now I'm not happy. That part of us, the volume starts to go down. And when we're not in it, we're not, we're not in it. Practice is the most important thing. It's good to have a little bit of understanding of the direction we're going, but more than that's not really required. Do your practice, treat yourself and other people the way you would like to be treated, and that's the deal. No more is required at that point. Maharaji said, love everyone, serve everyone, remember God. Remember God is the, is the practice of, for instance, of japa, the repetition of the names, or kirtan, singing the names, serving others, and not judging others, loving others. That's what we need to do. I don't have a book of the names and chants, but I have the CDs of the names and chants. Many people <coughs> are, are mention different problems. They're having difficulties in their life. And all I can tell you is that whenever I have a real, whenever I'm up against the wall and I need something to change, Something's got to change. Something's got to give. I'm at a place where I can't take anymore, where something's really... I do Hanuman Chalisa. I pray to Hanumanji, and I do Hanuman Chalisa. So for those of you who are asking me about 
prayers and what to do and those things. Get a picture of Hanuman and a picture of Maharaji. Put some fruit, offer some fruit, and sit down and sing Hanuman Chalisa. And if you really want things to change, sing it or, or read it or say it, repeat it 108 times. In India, there's this special puja that if you, you ask for something that you really want, I mean, you could ask for a new refrigerator, I suppose, if that's what you want. But the idea is to ask for something that's really big. And then you do this puja. You sing the Hanuman Chalisa or say it. Doesn't have, you don't have to sing it. It doesn't have to take 20 hours. But you can read it. You can speak it. You can chant it without music. You can chant it with music. 108 times. And your prayers will be answered in the best possible way they can be. It may not happen the way you want it, and it may not happen when you want it, but if you ask Hanumanji to do that, it's my belief that you will get his attention. You will get the attention of the universe, and you will create with your sincere longing a situation a change to the situation. So, but you have to do it. It's a lot. It's a big practice. But you can drink coffee, chai, whatever you want. You know, you can get up and walk around. When I was facing a very difficult situation in my life, a life-threatening situation, Siddhima told me to do 108 chalisas for 11 straight days. And the situation totally dissolved, disappeared. 108 chalisas, that's asking a lot. That's a lot. I don't think there's enough coffee in the universe to keep me up for 11 straight days. Or have make me let me give me the energy to do that now. But in those days, I had that energy and I did it for eleven straight days, and my my life changed. That's my experience. You have to find your experience, but that's what I can offer you now. <clears throat> hey, KD. After years of practice, do you still experience life's lows? How is your reactivity to it? Still got stuff that grabs you? You bet your life. <laughs> of course I do. You know, and it's only the chanting and practice that saves me again and again and again and brings me home again and again and again. It's like you're under, it's like you're, you're going down a river. And you're right by the rapids. You're just about to go over the waterfall into destruction. And I get pulled back up to, the, up to the source of the river. And then I'm going down again. And then I get pulled back again and again. The flow of life continues. Our karmas keep coming to fruition. Who knows how long that will go on. It's our job to plant new karmas. To do practice. To open our hearts. To help ourselves and help others the best we can. 
and plant those kind of seeds. So we're all in the same boat. Is there any number of repetitions that you do while chanting? No, I don't count. I just sing as long as I feel like it, and then I stop or do something else. What do I think about the Bible? What Maharaji said about it? You know, he didn't say much about the Bible. But he did say a lot about Jesus, about Christ. He loved Christ. He said Christ and Hanuman and Krishna are the same. He told us we should meditate like Christ. And when we asked, how did Christ meditate? He said, he lost himself in love. He lost himself in love. That's how he meditated. Then he said, no one understands. He never died. He never died. He lost himself in love. Now that's not the Jesus I heard about growing up, for sure. But to me, that sounds like the real thing. That sounds like what it was really about. Not all the divisiveness and the wars and the hatred and the, sh and the, the mind screwing and all the stuff that goes on in organized religion in general, not just Christianity, all of the religions, they're all selling something. And they all want you to join and join this and hate that one, most of them. That's why, you know, I have no use for that stuff. Is there a conflict between Buddhist teachings and Maharaji's? Not at all. There's no conflict at all. None whatsoever. There was a, there's a difference in methodology, apparently. The Buddhist practice is very specific about how to do certain things and how to approach spiritual work and how to approach the spiritual path. Maharaji had, came from a different tradition, but the great, the great saint the, and the great yogi, the previous Karmapa, the 16th Karmapa, said that Maharaji was a bodhisattva and that all the teachings of the, all the bodhisattvas are the same, even if they appear different. And if you don't know what a bodhisattva is, in Vajrayana Mahayana Buddhism, a bodhisattva is a Buddha in training, you could say. A very high advanced being who has been working on himself for millions of lifetimes and is a Buddha to be, has reached a state that is very close to Buddhahood in a way. And he said that Maharaji was not just a bodhisattva, but a Mahasiddha. No, Vajrayana Buddhism comes from the Mahasiddhas. Many of them were Indian. Most of them were Indian. Mahasiddhas mean great, perfected ones. And they were of all different types, all different teachings, all different paths and different practices. And he said that Maharaji was also Mahasiddha. Who knows? We don't even, we don't know. We, these words, 
seem to mean a lot to us, but we don't really know what they mean. It's all about love, period. And Buddhist practice, Mahayana Vajrayana practice, is all about loving the whole world, serving and dedicating all your practice to relieving suffering for all beings, not just yourself, but for all beings. And of course, that's what Maharaja was about. Love everyone, serve everyone. Very similar, also very similar to Christ. Yeah, if you offer fruit during the puja or every day to the guru or the whatever, uh, you offer the fruit, sure, and then you can eat it or you can give it to somebody else to eat. First you offer it and then you do your puja and afterwards you can take it as prasad, sure. <clears throat> when you do 108 chalices, does it have to be in one day? Yes, it was 108 chalices per day for 11 straight days. That's what it was. However, when I... I first started it, I was still touring. So what I did was in the morning, I did a large part of it. In the afternoon, I did more. And at night, I did more. So I finished 108 in a day. So I suppose that's okay. I was told that was okay. Siddhima said that was okay, but it's not ideal. They, you should try to do them you know, in a row. You can get up and walk and do them too. You know, you can take, you can walk, loosen yourself up, then you come back to your puja. But try to keep going if you can. If you can't, do the best you can. That's all we can do. <clears throat> Best way to learn the Hanuman Chalisa is to do it, read it chant it, sing it. You don't have to memorize it. It's not a test. You're not going to be called before the board of Chalisas to, to, to recite it without looking. You learn it by doing it. It doesn't matter if you have it memorized. The key, the most important thing when you do these practices is to really pay attention is to try to really be there while you're doing these things. And even if, and sometimes you can read the Chalisa in Hindi and you see the, the translation right under it in English. So you can actually be saying it in Hindi and picking up the meaning from the English translation right under it. All that's okay. And is it okay to do it in English? Why not? Any way you do it that keeps you turned towards Hanuman Maharaji, that's good. But it wouldn't be... You try to do it with some feeling. You don't have to manufacture devotion and weep and cry and moan and throw yourself on the floor. But at the same time, you should recognize that you're doing this for a purpose. Maybe like one person here's child is very sick. And if you want to do the chalisa for that, you know, you, you know, you, you have it in your mind. You want Maharaji to help you with that. 
So you stay with that, connect, you try to feel connected to Hanuman, to Maharaji, while you're doing the practice. You try not to space out, but you know, we all space out. We're all distracted. So you just do the best you can. But the effort is very important and the motivation is very important. What's the difference? Where's the line between non-attachment and indifference? Non-attachment means love. Attachment means neediness, hunger, desire. Using people, using things to try to get off has nothing to do with love. It has everything to do with manipulating other people, manipulating yourself, using other things, needing other things, thinking you do, all that stuff. Non-attachment means your heart is open as wide as the world for everyone and everything all the time. There's no closing down. That's a very advanced state. So understand this. Indifference is not detachment. Indifference is attachment. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care about that shit. I got my own thing going. That's denial of how attached you really are to other things. You're, there's fear there. There's anger there. There's worry. You don't want to be hurt. You don't want to be involved. You don't want to mess around with people. You want to be on your own. Even if you're on your own, your mind is going to be fucking you over all day long anyway. So that's bullshit. Indifference is completely different. When you're non-attached, the mind is calm, like an ocean, like a calm ocean. And everything is wide and free, open wide like the sky. It's a a state of fullness, not emptiness. Not in the Buddhist sense, that's misunderstood too, but it's fullness, not no feeling at all. It's full of feeling, full of love and passion for love itself, not for stuff. How do we find compassion and love for those that challenge us the most and are the hardest to love? You know, there's a story about this really old lama in Tibet who was going on a long pilgrimage and uh, through the mountains, a really long, difficult pilgrimage, and he had to take an attendant with him. So he took this guy as his attendant who was the most difficult person in the whole monastery. He was always somebody who created confusion. He was always critical and, and this and that and causing all this. Everybody said, why did you take this guy? You're going to be with him day after day for months. And he said, he teaches me patience. Uh, are you ready for that? I'm not ready for that. <laughs> but that's the deal. So you ask me, how do you find compassion and love for those that challenge us? If you're challenged, that's your problem, not their problem. Those are your attachments, your issues. Not enough love, period. But on the other hand, you don't manipulate yourself, try to not feel what you feel. You recognize what your feelings are and you try to work with them and let them go and 
and learn how to release them again and again, etc. Or you do counseling or therapy, whatever you have to do to work with those feelings so they don't push you around. But it's the people who bring that out in us that we really need to be grateful for. At least that's what they say. I don't feel very grateful most of the time, but that's the deal. <laughs> Different people are born into different karmas, yes. So, how can we judge a person as being higher or holier being as we all start out at different levels? Why do we say one person is higher or holier than another? <clears throat> you know, I'm not really sure what you're talking about, what you're referring to. Of higher and holier doesn't mean better, necessarily. We don't think... You wouldn't say the Maharaji is better than you. He's liberated. And he's become love. And he can, being around him, you begin to feel things that you've never felt before. So he is somebody who, is he higher? No, I mean, that's just a way of talking. Higher, lower, I usually, I like to think of it in terms of older beings, beings who have been doing this a longer time than us. Uh, and judging people is really terrible. I mean, there's no, how can we know really who anybody is? We just, we, we, we can't know. One time I was in a deli. <clears throat> it was back when I still ate cheese. I was in the deli and I ordered a cheese sandwich. And I was in line with a number of people, gave my order, and there was like three or four people in line ahead of me waiting to pay and pick up their food. And I had this feeling about this. There was a guy standing in front of me. I just felt something coming off of him, like this, this energy, this feeling. It was like, wow. I mean, it was beautiful. It wasn't scary. It was just like, what is this? Who is this guy? So now I'm behind him in the line, and he has his back to me. He's standing in line facing the front of the store. So I just slowly kind of edged around to the side. I wanted to see his face, right? I wanted to see who he was. So I kind of edged around, and as I moved around, he turned around. He turned away. So he, he kept his back towards me. And I thought, that didn't happen. That, that didn't happen. So now I'm back again in the original position. And so I start to edge around the other side, gently, very quietly, very subtly, you know. I just want to see who he is. I just want to see his face. And as I moved in that direction, he turned away slowly. So he kept his back to me. And I thought, what? This is not happening. What is going on here? So then he paid for his food and... He's, he paid for a food and I'm going up to pay for my food and I'm waiting for my change. And as he, just be, as he's turning to walk out of the store, he turns and he looks at me. And he had this twinkle in his eyes and he looked at me and he just said, it's not in the eyes, you know. And then he turned and walked out of the store and I was, I was like, ah, uh, and 
I was waiting. So for 33 cents, I was waiting for my change. And by the time I got out the door, the street was empty. There was nobody inside. I don't know. But that happened. <coughs> so thanks for all your questions. And um, I did what I could. <coughs> One way to deal with attachment and to deal with the way we're so locked into our own little worlds is to make offerings. And there are many types of offerings. We can make offerings of our heart, of our hearts, to all beings. May all beings be safe. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy and have enough to eat. May everybody, may everyone in the world live at ease of heart, at ease, at peace, in peace. This is part of the, comes out of the metta practice, the loving kindness meditation practice, of which Sharon Salzberg is the, the, the great uh, avatar of that practice. Sharon Salzberg. And a uh, good friend, wonderful being. And so, we're going to sing Hanuman Chalisa, but before we sing that, we're going to sing uh, <coughs> the prayer that Bernie Glassman taught me, which we call Hungry Hearts, because that's in the prayer. And the, pr the prayer, or the invocation, is we're offering our hearts to all beings, our Bodhi mind our enlightened heart, our enlightened mind, or our, our mind that is uh, moving towards enlightenment. We offer that as a meal for all beings to come who are hungry, who want sustenance. You know, if we're going to try to get out of our little bubble, our little closed, dark little universes that we live in, that we struggle to let light in. This is one of the ways to do that. To offer ourselves. And it doesn't mean you have to go out and stand in the street and scream, take me, Lord, take me, everybody. It means right now at home, you make that offering, that aspiration, that all beings be happy, that nobody suffers. Why should people suffer? We don't want to see people suffer. Because that suffering creates more suffering. So if someone isn't suffering, they won't create suffering <coughs> for others either. So we're going to sing that. Hungry Hearts. We're going to sing it twice. And then Hanuman Shalisa. 
and then once at the end. Calling out to hungry hearts Everywhere through endless time You who wander, you who thirst I offer you this bold demand Calling out hungry spirits Everywhere through endless time Calling out to hungry hearts All the lost and the left behind Gather round and share this meal Your joy and your sorrow I make it mine Calling out to hungry hearts Everywhere through endless time You who wander, you who thirst I offer you this body mine Calling out to hungry spirits Everywhere through endless time Calling out Hungry hearts, all the lost and the left behind, gather round and share this meal, your joy and your sorrow, I make it mine. Shri Guru Charan Sarojaraja. Jamanam Kursudari Varanor Abubara Bemajasu Chodaka Palachari Buddhihin Tanujan K. Sumiram Pavan Kumar Siaram Palabudevidya Dehumohi Arahu Kalesa Bikar Siyavara Ramachandra Padajesharana Jaya Hanuman Kyanana Gunasar Jaya Kapi Sati Humloka Ujjad Ramadurta Tulta Baladhan Anjani Putra Pavana Sutana Aviru Bikram Bajarang Matindewar Sumati Kesang Kanchana Varana Viraj Subesa Kanana Kundala Kunchata Kesa Matabajuro Suvan Kesarinand Teja Pratap Mahajagavan Vidyavan Guni Atichatu Ramat 
kanje karimbe ko ate abucharetra sunebe porasi ramalakamsita manavasi shmarupa dalesya hindeka vikatarupa dalamanka jara Dare Asur Sanghare Ramachandra Kekaja Sanghare Ay Sanjeevan Lakkanaji Ay Shri Raghubira Hara Shiralai Raghupati Kinhi Pohutbarai Tumamama Priya Parathai Samabai Sahasabadan tumaro jasaga Asaka ishri pati kantalaga Sanakadika brahmadi munisa Narada sharada sahita agis Yamakuber gapal jahante Kabiko bidakai sake kahante Upakar Sugriva Inkinha Rama Melaya Rajapadadin Maro Mantra Bibishanana Mankeshwara Bhai Sabha Jagajan Yuga Sasra Dhyojana Parabhan Iliyotai Madhura Palajan Prabhu Murdeka Mele Mukamahi Chaladilangi Gaya Charjanahi Purgama Kaja Jagata Kejete Sugama Anugraha Tumarete Ramadhuvare Tumarakava Potana Agya Binapeza सब सुकला है तुम्हारी शरण तुम्हारा चक्का हो कोदर अपन तेज समारो आपे इन्होंन लोग हम कतिंकाम पे उत्पेसाशन कतने हैं आवे महावीर जवनाम से रोग हरे सब पीर चपत निरंतर हनुमत बीर संकट ते अनुमान चुरावे मन कम बचन ध्यान जोलावे सब पारा राम तपस्वीराज तीन के काज सकल तुमसाज Ormanorat joko elavi Sove amit jivan palapal Charon yuga parthapatuma He parasid jagat ujaya Sadhu santake marakavare Asura nikandana rama 
कष्ट सिद्धि सबर दीन जान की माता राम रसायन तुम्हारे पास सदार हो रघुपति के दास तुम्हारे भजन राम को पाओ जन्म जन्म के दुख विसराओ अंत काल रघुवर पूरा जाय जहां जन्म और भक्त कहाय और देवता चित्तन दरय नुमत से सर्व सुख करे संकट कटे मिटे सब पीर जो सुमिर नुमत बलवीर हे जे जे हनुमान गोसाई पाखरो गुरुदेव की नाय जो सत बार पाठ कर को छूत ही बन महासुक होए होया पर अनुमान चलिस होया सिद्धि साकी गाड़ीस तुलसीदास सदा हरिचेर कीजे ना अर्दयमादे अवन्तनायसन कत्तरना मंगलमुर्तिरुप सियारा रामलक्षण सीता सहिता अर्दयबसव सुरबुप सियावरा रामचंद परजे शरणम मंगलमूर्ति आर्तनंद सकल अमंगल मूलनिकंद मंगलमूर्ति आर्तनंद सकल अमंगल मूलनिकंद श्रीराम जय राम जय जय राम श्रीराम जय राम
this heart of mine, calling out hungry spirits everywhere through endless time, calling out hungry hearts, all the lost and the left behind, gather around and share this meal, your joy and your sorrow, I make it If we know anything about a path at all, if we know there might be a way to live in this world in a good way, with an open heart, without fear, it's only because of the great beings who have gone before us. Out of their love, out of their kindness, they left some footprints for us to follow. So, in the same way that they wish for us, in the same way that they wish for us, we wish that all beings everywhere, all of us be safe, be happy, that all of us have good health and enough to eat. And may we all live in peace and at ease of heart at ease of heart with whatever comes to us in life. Stay. Take good care. Ram, ram.